Last week we started off a brand new series in the book of First Peter. If you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up and take them out. And if you missed it last week, the background of this is Peter was addressing Christians who have been intensely persecuted. I mean, intensely. This wrapped up in around about 62 AD, when Nero, the vicious ruler of Rome, decided he'd like some land over there to build his palace. But the Senate had said, no, you can't take that. People have got houses on there. He didn't care, and he burnt them to the ground, covertly. And then had the audacity to blame the Christians for doing that, which added persecution and acid on top of the already tough treatment they were getting. Now, Peter wrote the book of 1 Peter to encourage us and to encourage the Christians that this world, despite all of your problems and challenges, is not your home. He encouraged us to think of ourselves as what we call in America, you and I are resident aliens. We're here but we don't belong here. We are sojourners just passing through this life for a very brief time. In other words, he's saying to them, Christian, remember you are different. You are not the same as this world. And God is calling fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ to be different from and in this world. Different in three ways. Different values. He calls us to have different values. You may want to write that down from those around you. That means you we have a different use of our time than the world. Different. Different use of our resources than those around you. He also said that we're to have different values. Different standards and morals from those around you. And different goals. If you are a Christian, Peter, read the book, is saying there, we need to have different objectives, ambitions, and goals from the world around you. Very different. Now, knowing full well that the pull of this world to conform is every bit as subtle and as strong as gravity. It's invisible, yet so relentless. It's never absent. It never turns off. It's never passive. It's active, pushing you in a certain direction. And therefore, Peter passionately reminds us, because this world is not your own, you are called to be different. And unless we realize how strong and how subtle the pull of the world's influences, we won't understand the passion behind what Peter is saying here. Now, to set the tone for this, I'm going to do something a little bit different today. And I would ask you, would you please mind standing for a moment as we read and honor the Word of God? I'm going to read from 1 Peter 13. Holy Spirit, reveal to us what you want to say to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Therefore, with minds that are alert, not fuzzy, alert, be fully sober and set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform 
to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And since you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here, resident aliens, in reverent fear or temporary residence. Father, I pray you bless the reading of your word and may it grow deeply in our hearts. And everybody said, Amen. Please be seated. Now, reading these statements, we can't help but catch something of Peter's assertive spirit. There's a tone to that. He, he's saying, hey, guys, this is no time to kick back and chill and cruise and to be passive. Today is not a day to be passive. In fact, look at the forcefulness just briefly there of his phrases in verse 13. With minds that are alert, keep sober, set your hope. Bang, 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 like staccato. Be alert. Keep sober. Set your hope. Bang, bang, bang. Today we may say, hey, straighten up. Get it together. Get serious. That's what we may say today. This means being mentally alert. Think clearly, he's saying. Think. At IBM, we always had something up in the wall that said, think Believe it or not, people don't do that often. They just go along. Imagine that in a large technology corporation. One big word, think, and it was about this size font. Think. Be mentally alert. Be disciplined, he says. Be sober-minded. In other words, exercise self-control. It is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Self-control. And thirdly, focused. Be focused. On what? What does he say there? He says, set your hope looking forward. That's what you need to set your GPS to, that direction. Now, the the, the guidelines that he talks there will help you live ready to meet him when he comes. Christ. And then there's a clincher command from God. In essence saying in verse 15, be holy. Be holy like I am holy. Another, Another verse says, without holiness, no man will see God. Did you hear that? Without holiness, no man will see God. Now, it's very easy to let the world intoxicate us and fuzz our minds up. But if we're to shake ourselves at that dizzying spell that can beset all of us, we must resist the power actively that it enforces and exerts on us. Peter's saying here, you have to realize that even though you're living in this world, you're in the world... Your mind, your eyes, your focus must be beyond the present. Fix it ahead. In other words, this world is not your home. You have a different home. You're just passing through. You have a higher calling. And therefore, God is calling those who call upon his name to be different. Now, I want to be real clear about that. He wants us to be different. Would you say it with me, the word Different. Let's say it again. Different. Remember that. And Peter is encouraging us Christians to live a life of holiness and to walk in reverence. That's what he's saying there. I'm just summing it up very quickly there. 
Now the problem for many of you in this room, the greatest obstacle to faithfully following Christ's call is this. It is your desire to fit in. To fit in. Now I hope you understand this. If you're a Jesus follower here today, and some of you are just investigating the claims of Jesus, but some of you aren't. Some of you claim to be Jesus followers. Let me say this clearly as I can. God did not create you to fit in. He called you to stand out. Let me say that again. God did not create you to fit in. He called you to stand out. Light and dark. Salt. Huh? In the world. To be different from this world. God never says that you're to blend in. You're to be set apart. You are to be different. Now we are told here very clearly in Romans 12. It says, do not be conformed. That means to be like. To be patterned after to this world. But instead, do not do that. Don't even look like them. But instead, it says, contrary to that, be transformed. Be changed. When you transform something, you change something. By the entire renewing of your mind. By its new ideals, he's saying there. By its new attitudes. Then... When your mind is renewed, you'll be able to discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Another version says, don't confirm to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now you've been transformed. So we're never called to blend in. Jesus' followers are called by God to stand out and to be set apart and to live a different way live a different way. My wife and I have been having this conversation over the last few months about living different. How are we different? What attitudes, values and ambitions do we have that are different to this world? Because the Bible says test yourself to see that you're truly in the faith. It is a good thing to do. You take your car to have a want of fitness every six months or 12 months. It is to check that you're still on track. Check you are still on track today, not by what I say. What I say matters nothing, but what God says matters everything. Everything. So, and by the way, why would we ever want to be normal anyway? That word normal. Have you looked around recently to see what normal looks like? Normal looks like depressed. That's what normal looks like. Hopeless. Why am I doing all this furious activity? For what? And that comes home especially when you come home one day and your partner's left you. What is it all about? You've lost your bearings. Normal looks like divorced. That's what normal looks like, guys. Normal looks like deep insecurity. When I have to compare myself to the Joneses. Normal looks like anxious. Normal looks like afraid. That's what normal looks like. Normal looks like directionless. Just go with the rat race. And by the way, even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. <laughs> it's meaningless. Now Jesus recognized that there is a normal road 
And I want to read you briefly, it's not in your outline, but it's up here, about what he said the normal road looks like. Just so that when you drive by, you can, know, you can recognize it. And he said this. It's a road that's wide and broad as the path, and many on it are going to destruction. Here it is, Matthew 7. Jesus says, on the contrary, intra by the narrow gate. Narrow means it's skinny. It's quite exclusive, only one gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. This is Jesus speaking. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. There's a different road. But those who find it are few. It leads to life. So there is a different road, a narrow road that leads to life. Notice this, and only few are that find it. It is not everybody, because people don't choose the narrow road. And it is my prayer that we would be amongst those few because we choose to live differently to please Jesus. That more and more would find the path that leads to eternal life. Now this is not, on the authority of Jesus, the normal path on which most travel. God is calling you and I to live different. Different. Father, today I pray that you would take these words and you would personalize this message into the hearts of every single person here. And God, for those who are here today, who maybe for the first time have come to hear your word, but they are not, they're wanting to get to know you more. I pray that your spirit will draw them close. They may sense your call to them and your love. Father, for those on the other hand who know you, God, we open up our hearts for you to show us any areas of our life which are displeasing to you. Shore up within us, God, the desire for us to be holy and to be different and to be bold and to be courageous. Set us apart in all that we do that we will love you faithfully. To please you, we want to live honorably and be light into a very dark world. And God, help us to be different for your glory in all that we do. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, when I was a young fella, at high school with another guy in this auditorium called Grant, we started to become Christians. And one of the things that happened in my life, for whatever reason, caused me to have a very, let me say on the scale of profanity, I used to use it way too much. In fact, one secular guy once said to me is, why do you swear so much? I don't know the answer to that. Anyway, when we started becoming Christians, we, um, we, we wanted to try and clean this up. And so Grant and I would literally, every time one of us would just let one slip, we'd belt each other right in that joint there. And we got so good we could almost separate the soldier joint because we swore so much. Grant's as bad as me, aren't you? <laughs> but we tried to get this under control. And we did to an extent. To an extent we did because, man, it hurt. Your shoulders black and blue from popping each other. And boy, we weren't just tap. It was, but you know that hard. You could literally separate the bursa where the bursa is. Where the, the experts, you do it ten thousand times, you get good. <laughs> anyway, 
So we, my point is that these bad words just would bubble up and just pop out of my mouth until we got, until we got some outward compliance by thumping each other. And I thought that was all pretty much dealt with. But one of my jobs was sometimes I used to drive, I, was a, I used to drive 20-ton articulated trucks, heavy truck license. And just after, and it surprised me one day, and after lunch, you're sitting there and the truck is nice and warm and you're waiting for your next load. And you just had lunch and you're feeling a bit snoozy and then some idiot would drop a seven-ton rock on your deck. And words which could never be repeated here would all of a sudden just come bubble up and shoot out of your mouth. I thought, how is this, Lord? How is this? How is it that I thought it got the outward compliance, but my heart hadn't changed. It was still inside. So I'd got external compliance, but inwardly there were still things wrong. That made me go and get some prayer. Because I thought, this is not right. I need to have a heart change. And I got some prayer. And what I'm talking about is God can help us not just get outward compliance, but inward spiritual renewal and transformation. And can see, we can get sort of outward compliance in the way that we live. And we can seemingly do all the right things. But what's actually going on inside? And what does it even matter? I want to look again at the words of Peter speaking to a group of hurting Christians. And perhaps today, God's Spirit may speak to you in some way. Stir you and prompt you to be set apart, to be different. Because God has not called us to blend in, but he's called us to be different. Here it is, verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had um, when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all including your business transactions. Are you different? Do you keep your word even at your cost? Or do you, ah, that's going to cost you much money. I know what that's like. One of my last team members of my last previous business cost my company $340,000 to fix this problem. Now, we could have wiggled and argued and wiggled and argued and wiggled and argued. Bottom line, he screwed up. We paid. Are you different? Do you pay your bills on time? Do you lean on your suppliers too much? And you know where that balance is. Be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy, because I'm holy. What I hope you'll notice in that text particularly is what so many people want to believe, and it's how they live, want to live. It does not say, be happy in all that you do because I'm happy. You are called to be happy. It does not say that. See, much of, I have a deep concern that much of Western Christian civilization, many people believe that God's highest calling for them and purpose is for them to be happy. Our happiness. Can I counter that and put something very different up here? God's highest calling for you is not your happiness, but it's actually your holiness. It's actually your holiness. God's holiness for you is a higher priority than your happiness. Now the problem, this is why, very subtle, the problem with the so-called theology of happiness is it empowers personal justification. Watch what happens. Here's how the thinking goes. Since I am not happy, I am therefore going to allow myself to do something that otherwise would be wrong and unwise. For example, 
I hear this a lot. Well, I'm not happy in my marriage. Therefore, I'm out of here. That's rubbish. Or the theology of happiness says, well, I want this thing, therefore I'm just going to get it. And even if I can afford it, is it still the right thing? Are you living different or are you exactly the same as the world? Or another classic way this looks today is, well, I know that when I'm dating, we should wait. I mean, but we're in love and, you know, what's a man supposed to do? Well, I'll tell you what a man's supposed to do. He's supposed to wait. That's exactly what he's supposed to do. But, oh, well, I wouldn't be very happy about that. Well, man up and wait. Ladies, if you can't wait now, I would suggest, I would wonder whether you can wait after you're married and maybe not after you as well. Because there's some good research that round that if he doesn't show self-control up front, unless there's a transformation on the inside, he may go wandering later on. That's the facts. Backed up by some good signs. When we believe that God wants us to be happy above all else, we falsely assume that any sort of discomfort, any sort of delay in my plan, or any risk that I may have to take, or any inconvenience cannot possibly be God's will, let alone suffering. That's the false gospel. And without knowing it, what happens is we start to worship the false gods of comfort, the false gods of money, the false gods of pleasure, and the false gods of things. That's what happens. What's wrong with that picture? Does anything kind of make you feel a bit leery about that thinking? Well, here's what we think. We think that God... Is supposed to give me what I want. There's a problem with that thinking. What we need is a Copernican revolution in our lives to understand that God does not exist to serve us. See, in the old days, pre-Copernicus, many people who hadn't read their Bible believed that the sun revolved around the earth. That's what they believed. Until Copernicus goes, no way, that's wrong. We revolve around the sun, and I think Christians who are wanting to be fully devoted followers of Jesus need to get that clear. Our lives revolve around the sun. He does not revolve around us. One of the interesting cases of that, Joshua gets up to the, um, to the Jordan River, and he's about to go spy at that line. Whoa! There's this, remember, there's this appearance of this, of this angel there. And he goes, ha, huh, are you for me, or are you against me? You know what the angel of the Lord says? Neither. The real question is, Joshua, are you for me or are you against me? He's got the orientation correct. And we tend to think sometimes God revolves around us. Wrong. We revolve around him. We exist to serve him. And he calls us to be set apart to be holy. We have a father who is holy. And he wants his children to be holy. Guys, this is a very convicting point as his children he is holy and he wants us to be holy so what does it mean to be holy that's always a tough question to answer I'm going to strip it down to its basics the term holy means to be set apart 
in some special and exclusive way. The Greek is the word hagios, which means to be set apart, to be holy, to be different, to be pure. Now, God is calling us to be different. You see, don't conform. Don't even look like them. There's a difference here, black and white. Do not conform to the patterns of the world. He's calling us apart. Perhaps it will help you to think about it in another context. When, like Joshua and Jenna, my son and his lovely lady just got married recently in holy matrimony, the man and the woman are set apart, leaving all others as they bond in an exclusive relationship with each other. No more girlfriends, Joshua. <laughs> no more boyfriends, Jenna. Not that she had any, but you know what I'm saying? Even special relationships with other girls, Josh. Because Josh somehow had a good way of communicating to the women. I don't know how he did it, but he did. <laughs> That's over now, Josh. It's exclusively separated to, uh, to Jenna. Now on this, I just want to drive a little bit closer to home. Grandparents and parents. Here's a challenge, a bit closer to home. How can you expect to raise children who are set apart and different from the world if you are not? If you're just doing exactly the same thing as the whole world is doing. If you're not different in how you live, I'm not just talking about the way you talk, but how you actually conduct, the, how you conduct your marriage, how you conduct your business, how you talk about the most precious gift that you've ever been given, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the pearl of great price. If we are not different, how can you expect your kids to see the value of following Christ? How can you expect your kids to have the courage to stand up against the world, to be set apart, to be prepared to be rejected and ridiculed as they reject the world's values, the world's standards and the world's goals? Do you want your kids following those? The world's standards, the world's values, the world's goals. If the answer is no, you have to model that to show them it costs you something. It will cost you. And anybody that tells you you can have it all has got a dispute with Jesus, not me. Because his word doesn't say that. Now, verse 14. God is calling us holy in all we do. Verse 14. So you must live... As God's obedient children, don't slip back. Slip back into your old ways to satisfy your own desires. How many of you know it's really easy to slip into sin? I've got both hands up, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I me, mean, absolutely. To fall into temptation, really easy. But have you ever noticed the contra? You don't slip into righteousness. <laughs> Whoop, I tripped and I became holy. Hallelujah. That doesn't happen. I, I, not my life. That's not my experience. You don't fall into holiness. Because you have an enemy who will cause you to slip up, to trip, and to fall. Now, subtly, the enemy operates in the way he's always operated before. And I want to open some of your eyes to this afresh today. He still uses the same old question. And it's this. 
Did God really say? Did he really say, you know, don't eat of that tree? Huh? The fruit. Did God really say, fill in the blank? You can name whatever you want. You say it. That line, one line there is used to derail so many people from the standards of holiness. Did God really say marriage is to between one man and one woman? Marriage is to have sex is his creation, a beautiful creation. But it's to be had within the confounds of an exclusive, monogamous relationship. That's what he says. Here's one to sort of bring it back to us now. Did God really say you're supposed to wait until you're married? Did really God really say you're not to neglect the gathering of the church and to pray and to serve him whilst you're on this earth? Did he really say that? Did he really say don't watch that Netflix movie or that HBO or that Sky movie? Did he really say don't watch that music video? Did he really say not to, pro, uh, to post inappropriate pictures on your Instagram page because it gets more likes? Lots of people do it. That's the normal. That's the normal. Parents, that is the normal these days. Posting half-naked pictures on Instagram and other places like that where their friends can see it. That's normal. Did God really say whatever it is? Now you say, oh, but Pastor Ian, I'm a lot better, a lot better than a lot of people. Well, friends, can I say this very humbly? A lot of people are not the standard. God calls Jesus' followers to be different and to be set apart. Now with that in mind, there's a couple of questions for you to get after in your small groups. And small groups, by the way, are what kept the early church burning Doing life together with other believers. Strengthening one another with the power of God's word. Enjoying fellowship. Praying together and being united in strength around the power of God's word. A couple of questions here to think about. What three areas do I struggle with most trying to fit in? Is it the, uh, the wealth one? You know, if, well, if I have a particular amount of money in my Kiwi saver and investments. It's important to save. Those of you who are here often, it's important to save. What am I trying to fit in? My car, my house, the clothes I wear, the watch I have, whatever it may be. When was the time that I put my happiness above God's call for holiness? That I did what I wanted rather than what I knew was right? Here's a really challenging question. What are the biggest ways that I'm different from the world? I mean, really different. Would anybody know? And maybe for some of you today, what is the one way you know God is asking you to be different? Now, friends, we don't just come to church to listen. Because Jesus says to his stepbrother, James, it is the doers of the word. We want to be doers, not just hearers. We're letting God's spirit speak to us to convict us, to help lead us in a different direction and lead us into all righteousness. So back to these questions. Why does it even matter? Why holy? Why does it matter? Well, Peter says to these Christians, when the pressure is on, by the way, this is just something out of the side that you need to be focusing in your mind when the pressure's on. Focusing your mind. In verse 18 he says this, 
For you know that it is not with perishable things, such as, he's almost saying, mere silver and mere gold. What is that? That you redeemed from this empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors. In other words, parents may have done it, and parents before that may have done it. That, that, that's empty. Unless it has Jesus in the middle, it's a complete waste. It wasn't with these things that you were set free from, the longing for more, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It was the sinless Son of God who set you free, that Jesus pointed you towards the life, the risen Son who forgave your sins and made you new. She says, don't trade it in for junk. He was chosen before the creation of the world. This is the eternal gospel. It wasn't, oh, man screwed up, I need to fix this. He knew that way ahead before he even created the universe. That's his foreknowledge. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. So we need to understand this key point here, too, when it comes to holiness. We can't be good enough on our own to please him. Because here's how this works. God is perfect and heaven is perfect. And the problem is, am I perfect? No way. Are you perfect? No way. There's a problem. If heaven's perfect and I'm not perfect, something's got to change here for me to get into there. Otherwise, heaven will be no longer perfect anymore. So here's my point in a, in a quick slide here. Living holy isn't the path to knowing Christ. In other words, I don't have to get my act all together first. But knowing Christ is a pathway to holiness. Christ actually makes you perfect because of his blood. What he paid for you. And my heart on the inside starts to change. Rather than, don't do that and don't do that. And me outwardly compressing myself there and forcing myself, what happens is my heart starts to change where I don't even want to do those things anymore. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to say it that. I don't want to, what it, you name it, fill in the blank. But something happens to internal, um, your heart, it changes. So knowing Christ changes us. And increasingly, we don't want to do anything that would displease Christ. I want to live a life that brings glory to him. And I don't care what anybody else thinks increasingly. Increasingly. Because I'm different. And I want to live for the audience of one, not my fickle friends. So because of who he is and because of what he's done, I want to be holy. What I am not talking about here, friends, is outward behavioral modification. It's like the parent says, don't do that. Or, you know, and the kid goes, inside, he may comply, but inside he's saying, mm. inside he hasn't changed. He's just outwardly, and the moment you're out of the room, he'll change. Now my prayer is that the Spirit of God would do what I cannot do is that he show you any area of your life that you will be displeasing to God. And not out of obligation, I want to try harder. It's not that, but it's from an inward spiritual transformation. Living holy is not the pathway to knowing Christ. No, that's not the pathway. But knowing Christ is a pathway to living holy. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you do some work in us now. Some here today recognize as an area of their lives that you are calling them to raise the standard, to make a change, to be different from this world. Father, you want us 
to be holy because you are holy, not like everybody else. Some of you would say, today I recognize that God has shown me something that I need his help. Not outward behavior modification, but God changed me from the inside, changed me, spiritually transformed me by your Holy Spirit. Do you work in me? Thank you for your spirit that changes us from the inside out and may we grow closer to you in every way. And God, would you change our hearts, renew our minds, make us different on the inside so that outward actions start. God, help us fall so in love with you that we cannot stay the same anymore. There are others of you here today who may recognize that you're not right with God right now. And the good news is that you're here because God wants to speak to you. Friend, you can search and search for something in your life to give you lasting meaning, but you'll continue to be empty. Why? Because there's a spiritual void in your life that only can be filled by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here is the truth. Friends, everybody in this room is sinners, and we've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. We've all sinned and fallen away from God, but because of God's goodness, he sent Jesus, who was without sin, and Jesus died on that cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And he was raised from the dead so that anyone, and this includes you, who calls on his name will be saved. Today, some of you are one prayer away of being changed forever. Those who say, I need this forgiveness, I need to give my life to Christ, would you join me in this prayer? You can just... In fact, why don't we all just pray this prayer? Uh,